Well, welcome today again to uh, Wildwood Christian Church. Um, we've got two or three things going on that we want to remind you of. First of all, today is what we're calling our bumper bag day. We're working with our children's ministry in um, just kind of meeting the needs of one of our uh, the local food pantries. And so we invited you to take a bag of food, set it by your bumper um, so that they could be collected by the children in the first or second service. So if your food's still in your car... Just stay in your seat, you're all right. You can get it afterwards and set it just by somebody else's car, right? Um, say, they forgot it, right? Um, but it's, so it's a great way that we can serve together. We have a second opportunity for you to serve. We've been announcing, but the Wildwood Barbecue Bash, which is the last weekend of this month, September 27th through the 29th, um, what we're doing is we're serving our city by taking care of that tent, where the food tent, where people come and they sit, they eat some of their food, they relax, they rest and stuff. And so that's what we're doing. We're taking care of that. And so we uh, invite you to serve alongside us. We need about 70 people who would be willing to just kind of wipe down tables and just be nice to people and have conversations with them. And you can sign up. You kind of notice the big pig hanging from the balloon right out there as you came in. And so just sign up and pick a time during that spot. And we would love to have you help serve with that. One last thing that we're asking you to do on the 27th of October, we're having a very special day on that day. We'll share more information down the road. But what we're asking you to do today is one very simple thing, and that is to pray to God and say, God, show me, tell me who it is that I need to invite on this very special day. Okay? That's all we're asking you to do. Just this week, say, God, I really want to ask you to help me to know who it is I should invite on this very special day. So again, October the 27th, the last Sunday of the month, very special day. We'll let you know more as that time comes. But thank you for being here today and honoring God. So did anybody get to have a vacation this past summer over the last couple months? Anybody take a trip, vacation, right? Our, our family, when our kids were younger, we took a lot more vacations than we do now. Our vacations seemed to be going to see the kids, right, because they're all over the world. But we've taken vacations. We've gone to the Grand Canyon. We've been to Yosemite. We've been to New York City. We've been up into Canada. We went to uh, the Smoky Mountains. I mean, we even visited Branson once. That took a lot <laughs> for me to go there. Um, but we, you know, we, we had a lot of fun. We kind of kept, my wife would keep a journal of our trips. And Though the destination was a lot of fun, the places that we wanted to go, oftentimes it was the stuff that happened in between, right? As you were trying to leave, or the journey there, or in between times, or coming back home that sometimes was the most memorable. It's sometimes more about the journey than about the destination. So I wonder, what's the best vacation you ever took? What was the best road trip, maybe, that you had? What was the even the best business trip that you had. Maybe you got to go to some unusual place. My guess would be that as you think about that particular trip, I mean, you realize that the place that you went was pretty cool, but sometimes it was the people that you meet or the experiences that you have or even the journey getting there and getting back that was the most memorable for you. Well, today we take, uh, begin a trip, a journey as a church family, um, to not a specific destination, but more a work that God really wants to do in the life of his church here. It's, a, it's kind of a trip um, in which God wants to kind of change our minds, um, work on our attitudes a little bit, kind of 
help us to have this transformed heart in our life and our mind. And so we're calling this the journey of mercy, the journey of mercy. And it really started working, God started working in my heart about this really in 2014 and 2015. I don't know if you know the significance of those dates, but that was around the events of Ferguson in our city and some of the turmoil that occurred there. And it, though that didn't start it, it kind of highlighted some very significant attitudes that our country has, not just our city, but our country had, which would be defined by words like tense and divided and broken and hostile and bitter and isolated and anxious and unjust and skeptical. And the reason we know those words are prevalent in the attitudes of the minds of our country is because there was research that was done about that in regard to the kind of the environment in our culture. And it wasn't just the culture around us. I mean, those words tend to epitomize at times the attitude and the demeanor even in the church. And so in this kind of a divisive climate, you know, we have these go-tos that we tend to think about in regard to our minds, and though it can be tempting because it's like the loudest voice wins, right? The loudest voice wins. It can be very tempting to root our expressions of faith in having the right ideas and the clearest doctrine and the best arguments. But as Christians... We have an opportunity in the midst of this kind of divisive culture to not only be messengers of truth, but to be ministers of mercy. Not just sharing the truth with people, which is crucial, but maybe even more important in this climate, to show mercy, to be ministers of mercy where we work and in our homes, in our church, in the communities that we live in. I think that's what God is calling the church to become. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I mean, Jesus got on to key religious leaders of his day, and he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So God is calling us to be a place of mercy. So the question is this, what is mercy? So when you think of the word mercy, what comes to your mind? When you think of that concept mercy, what comes to your mind? So here's what I want you to do. Um, if you're with somebody, turn and tell them in your own words, this is what I think mercy means. And if you're by yourself, just write it down on your notes there or something. Here's what mercy is. Take a moment, turn to the person next to you or write it down and say, here's what I think of when I hear the word mercy. So if you were to look in the dictionary and find the word mercy, it, it would have this idea that I extend kind of forgiveness or compassion towards somebody else. Typically, um, I'm the one in authority, and so I extend mercy to somebody who should receive some kind of a punishment. And so it's this idea that I, I extend forgiveness to somebody um, even though I don't think they deserve it. But to a Christian, it's way more than that. To a follower of Jesus, mercy is more than just, well, I'm going to let you off the hook. Um, it's really a calling. It's a perspective. It's an attitude change. It is a way of life that defines us and who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who carry the name of Jesus Christ. And I think more than ever, the world needs to know the kind of mercy that comes from Jesus Christ to them and it, in order for us to be able to have that kind of mercy to move forward, there's got to be something that changes in our minds. 
So in Scripture, the concept of mercy is very multifaceted. So here's some of the words that Scripture uses um, in, in context of this or to help us better understand mercy. The word pity and kindness, steadfast love, goodness, favor, compassion, and forgiveness. But prominent in the concept of mercy that comes from Jesus as we think about how Jesus showed mercy to other people, it's not just this compassionate disposition to forgive an offender, you know, somebody who has hurt us, but it goes even further than that in that it becomes a willingness to help that person even in the sorry situation they find themselves in. So in this series, here's kind of the, word, the phrase we're going to use to define mercy. Mercy is this, it is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Undeserved forgiveness, I don't deserve it. Unearned kindness, I didn't earn it from anyone else. And to be honest, it's, it's easy to extend mercy to some people and it's more difficult to extend mercy to others. Wouldn't you find that true? Like for instance, when I'm driving down the road, I have a hard time extending mercy to anyone. Because everybody else in the road, it's like, where did you get your driver's license? But I had this experience the other day. I'm following my daughter. She's driving her car. I'm driving my car. And it was like my whole attitude was completely different about this person driving in front of me. It was because I had a relationship with her. It was easy for me to extend grace to her, to show compassion to her as she drives. And I think a part of the reason why we wrestle so much with showing mercy to people, particularly groups of people, is because we don't have a relationship with them. We don't know them, right? We, we don't have an understanding of who they happen to be. And so when we feel threatened or fearful or angry or frustrated and we don't know people, it can be very difficult to extend mercy. So how do we do that? How is God's people, how as followers of Jesus Christ can we move to have a heart of mercy? How do we get on the road to mercy? How do we take this journey of mercy? And that's what this series is really about. The next six weeks we're going to talk about what this looks like from Scripture. Um, we're going to help one another walk in our calling to be ministers of mercy, to be ambassadors of compassion, agents of forgiveness. But before we can even begin that road, there's a very important truth that we have to understand, and it is this, that the journey of mercy begins with an understanding that we, we serve a God who delights to show mercy. Before I can ever extend mercy, in fact, before I can ever receive mercy, I have to understand that I serve a God who delights to show mercy. And so over these few weeks, here on Sunday morning and in our small groups as we talk about this together, what's going to happen to us is we're going to be challenged at times. You're going to be annoyed at me at times. We're going to be on a journey that at times might be very difficult for us, but we're going to look at God's Word and we're going to together try to help take this journey of mercy. And so we begin in the Old Testament in the book of Micah. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah. There's Bibles in the seat in front of you and actually the page numbers on that notes in the program that you were handed. Or you can turn your phone, your tablet on, turn to Micah, the seventh chapter of Micah. We're going to actually begin the series with Micah, and we're going to end this series with Micah. 
And so today we take a look at the words of this prophet that God speaks through him to us about God himself. So this is Micah chapter 7 beginning in verse 18. Here's what Micah says. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. I love that. He delights to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now Micah is a prophet, and he's writing to God's people, the nation of Israel. But he's writing during a time, this is probably... 700 to 750 years before Jesus comes. He's writing during a time in which the majority of God's people, especially the leaders, were doing anything but living for God. And he was one of those prophets. Isaiah was a prophet. They were contemporaries together as they write about, you know what, you need to repent, you need to turn back to God, because if you don't, God's going to lead you off into captivity. And so a lot of his message contains the judgment of God against his nation, specifically his leaders and his judges, his priests and his people. And yet there's this underlying tone, as we read here, that God wants to show mercy to his people. He, he wants to extend that to us. And so he begins this kind of conclusion of his prophecy by asking this question, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? It, it's a great question, isn't it? Who's a God like you? It's kind of an, an evaluation question. It's an a, assessment question. So how would you answer that? Who, who is God to you, maybe we'll say it, or what is your view of God? Right now, as you think about God, what comes to your mind as you think about God? So there was recently a third and fourth graders in Wheaton, Illinois, a Christian school, were, were asked to complete the following sentence, by faith I know that God is. So they were asked to complete that, third and fourth graders. By faith I know that God is. Amanda said, by faith I know God is forgiving because he forgives in the Bible and he forgave me when I went in the road on my bike without one of my parents. Brandon says, by faith I know that God is providing full because he dropped manna for Moses and the people and he gave my dad a job. Paul says, I know that God is caring because he made the blind man see and he made me catch a very fast line drive that could have hurt me. He probably sent an angel down. Hannah says, by faith I know that God is sweet because he gave me a dog God tells me not to do things that are bad. I need someone like that. And Jeremy says, by faith, I know that God is merciful because my brother has been nice to me for over a year. <laughs> so how do you see God? What's your view, your perception of God? So in 2006, sociologists from Baylor University conducted a survey using the Gallup organization looking into America's different views of God. And so they identified four distinct views that most of Americans have about God. The first one is that they believe that their God is an authoritarian God. That's 31% of the population believe that, that he's um, angry at humanity's sin and he's engaged in every part of our lives. 23% um, that God is a benevolent God who's forgiving and he is accepting of everyone who repents. Um, those who believe in a critical God were 16%. Those who say God is judgmental, but he's not going to intervene in this world. 
And then 24% that believe that God is a distant God who's more of this kind of cosmic force who launched the world and set things into motion. So what's your view of God? How do you see God? For most of us, it is our experience that influences our perception of God, right? It's our experiences, our past experiences with our family, our parents, people from our past when we were a child. That really influences our you know, view and image of God, how we were treated, what was going on in our life. Um, present experiences, sometimes confusion or difficulty, they can... Those things can adjust our view of God. People in our lives, right, can significantly influence our view of God. Just ask any college student who goes off, right? You can be influenced in regard to your view of God. Now, we gain a limited understanding of God from nature. In fact, Paul says that in Romans 1.20, that, you know, we can know something about God, but it's limited. Where we really find out about God is from His Word. And so Micah asked this question, who is a God like you? Because he knows what God's people are facing, because he's talked to them about that. He knows what they're going to face, but he wants them to know and to remember. He wants to remind them that God is merciful. So when he asks this question, well, who is a God like you? What he's really saying is there's none. No one's like you. You're above everything. But he uses uh, what I would say is a great contrast here to help us better understand who is a God like you. So here's how he answers it. Who's a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So it's like he's making an assessment, and on one side he has humanity, and on the other side he has divinity. One side he has mankind, the other side he has God. And so the mankind side, the humanity side, begins, he uses three words to say, here's who we are. We, you know, we are sin, we are transgression, we are iniquity. Three words that describe our condition before God. Sin, um, when we it's an act, a willful act, in which we go against something that's forbidden, or we choose to not do something we're supposed to. Whether it's what's our thoughts, or our words, you know, our actions, even our feelings. Transgression, it's the violation of a moral principle. Iniquity, it's kind of this premeditated sin. I know I'm going to do, but I'm going to still do it anyway. Three words that characterize us. And the point of those three words is that we deserve judgment and we deserve condemnation. And that's true of all of us. And this kind of describes for some of us how our view of God gets tainted because for some of us our view of God gets tainted because of the guilt of our past. Probably true for most of us. Because of the stuff that we've done that we can't seem to get over or we can't seem to deal with because of sin and transgression and iniquity. Just three words to describe sin. That's the condition. And so on one side of this comparison or contrast, we have humanity, but the important side is the other side, and that is the description of God. On the other side of the ledger is God, and our sinfulness is in stark contrast to all of these descriptions that he gives us of God. Here's what God does. He pardons. That means he sets us free. He forgives. To forgive is to cancel an unpayable debt. He doesn't stay angry. 
Some of you need to hear that about God. God does not stay angry, unlike some of us who really wrestle with that in our lives, right? God delights to show mercy. It's got to be my favorite phrase here. He delights to show mercy. What do you delight in? What delights you? Over the past month and a half, what's delighted me is this cute little face right here. This is my granddaughter, Eliana. You walk into the room, you look at her, and she, her smile lights you up, and it's just like, it is a delight to see that precious little thing. That's how God sees you. He delights to show you and me mercy. He goes on, he says he is compassionate. That's how God is towards you and towards me. He treads our sin underfoot. It's a military term to describe the defeating of an enemy. He stomps on the enemy, and the enemy is sin, and that's what God did through Jesus Christ. He hurls our iniquity into the depths of the sea. You know, take the strongest arm in the major leagues and multiply it by like a billion and that's the arm of God to throw our sins into the depths of the sea. It is no more. He delights to show mercy. See, we sin and God pardons. We transgress and God forgives. We receive from God what we do not deserve and we don't receive what we do deserve. God has all right to condemn us because we are guilty, but God delights to show mercy. Mercy undeserved forgiveness unearned kindness and imagine the impact upon the people that mike is writing this prophecy to that it would encourage them inspire them but really what's contained here especially if you notice verse 19 he's talking in the future tense you will have compassion you you will tread our sins underfoot. He's speaking about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, it's very specific, you know, when it says, you know, you'll, what's, the, what's the phrase you use? You will tread our sins underfoot. That's, that's prophecy. That goes all the way back to, the, to Genesis. What, what was the prophecy about Satan when he tempted Adam and Eve to sin? You know, you will strike his heel, speaking of what Satan would do to, to the Messiah, but he will what? crush your head he will defeat you that's the defeat of the enemy and we today have the privilege of fully experiencing the mercy of god paul says this in ephesians 2 but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in our transgressions for it is by grace you have been saved micah gives us this picture of god that every one of us in this room need to hear for every single person in here, he delights to show us his mercy. Who is a God like you? You're a God who delights to show us mercy. So if God delights to show us mercy, and if you have put your trust in Jesus as Savior, thus meaning you've received mercy, then we need to be people who can extend that mercy to others. And I think the question that we're going to have to wrestle with over these next several weeks is, if I'm a person who's received that mercy, why do I have so much trouble extending mercy to certain people? We're going to talk about that. Because there's some legitimate things that you and I wrestle with in our lives about people, whether people we know or people we don't know. 
But we're going to have to wrestle with this, and we can't answer it just lightly, like, well, yeah, I can do that. But we do. We have to wrestle with this, that God has given me mercy. God has extended that to me. Can I extend that? Will I extend that mercy to other people? But I don't think we will ever reach a point where we will be willing to show love, mercy, forgiveness, compassion to other people until we truly understand the mercy that God has given to each one of us. Micah says again, who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. My prayer for us today, for you, for me, is that we will just get a greater glimpse of the astonishing love that God has for us. The mercy that he freely extends to you and to me. You know, I, I know that I, I wrestle with and I struggle with extending mercy to other people at times. But where I struggle with not extending it to people, in other words, being willing to do it, is when I really begin to reflect and think, about what God has done in my life and how God has forgiven me, how God has set me free, how God has extended his mercy to me in spite of my past. And I think it's such a motivating thing for you and for me. We receive what we do not deserve mercy because God is a merciful God. So this week I heard the story of Victoria Rivolo, um, Back in 2004, she was driving her car. She was going to her niece's recital when she passed a car that had five teenage guys in it who had just been on a spending spree with a stolen credit card. And one of the items that they bought was a 20-pound frozen turkey. And just as she was passing them, the one kid, Ryan Cushing, opened his windows and he threw out this frozen turkey. And it hit her, the front of her windshield it just crashed into her skull. She ended up being rushed to the emergency room, had 10 hours of surgery. She was in the hospital for literally weeks. She survived, but when she went home, she went home with a tracheotomy tube. She endured months of rehabilitation. But what's most amazing about this story is the reaction that Victoria had towards this young man, Ryan Cushing, who threw the turkey out her window. Anderson Cooper um, interviewed her, and I want you to listen to a portion of that interview. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is just because you did something extraordinary once the teen was apprehended. The teen who threw the turkey was facing 25 years in prison. What did you think when you heard that? I wanted to know more about the person that did this to me. Was he always a bad kid? Was he always a bully? Was he always doing something wrong? Was he always mean? His name is Ryan... Ryan Cushing, yes. Ryan Cushing. You, though, decided you wanted less of a sentence. Yes, yes. Explain that. Finding out that, you know, he had his own issues. He has albinoism. He was going through a lot of things in his own life. And the only thing that I could think of at that time was, what could he possibly have built up inside of him so bad that he had to throw something? Because the idea of throwing something to me is to release, to let go. It's amazing to me, though, that... I mean, this is somebody who could have killed you, and you're thinking about them. You're th trying to put yourself in their shoes. I truly believe it's all from my past and everything that I've been through in my life, and just seeing 
so many young people die at such young ages to lose all that potential. How, how could I take this other young life and just let it rot in jail? You decided you didn't want him to get a 25-year sentence. Yes. You insisted he get a lighter sentence. Well, because I didn't think that would do any any good. So what? So he can go and sit and rot in jail and maybe you know be abused and become more bitter and more angry and then come out and do something worse to someone else? So in the end, how much of a sentence did well, he get? From 25 years, what was it lowered to because Because you of me, he got six months in jail with five years probation with community service and psychiatric help. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. I want to show you what, what Ryan, the teenager who threw the turkey, had to say as he left the courtroom after learning of his, his lesser sentence. I love the woman. She's, she's a wonderful person. That's why she's the best person that there is. You get, you get upset when you watch that. I've always said, God gave me a second chance, so I just passed it on. But... Who in this room can't say that God hasn't given us a second chance? In our lives, in our relationships, especially because of what Jesus Christ did to us. Who is a God like you? I really want to encourage you to wrestle with that. Who is God? How do you see God? Is your perception of God based upon the truth and the reality of Scripture, or is our experiences tainting our view of God? And it's time to have you know, a conversation with God about that. God... Why is it that I feel this way about you? Help me to be able to see that. Help me to be able to know and understand that you delight to show mercy for me. Imagine what could happen in your life if you could take a step of really recognizing God's mercy for you, receiving the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Imagine how that could free you, the kind of chance that God can give to you because of that. And so as we begin this series, I just really want to encourage you to wrestle with that. Who, who is God to me? Who, who is that God? How do I view him? How do I see him?